You're listening to The Sound of Pursuit. Today's show is a podcast about the perception of private investigators in the public eye. Today, we're going to explore the impact of a single individual on an entire profession and how one man's outlaw behavior and high-profile clients shape the public's perception of private investigators as shady and unscrupulous individuals. I'm John Nardizzi. I'm an investigator and author in Boston. And today we're going to talk about Anthony Pelicano, California private investigator who gained notoriety for his aggressive tactics in his work for Hollywood celebrities. Pelicano's illegal methods and the high-profile case against him became a symbol of the worst excesses in the private investigation business, reinforcing negative stereotypes and making it harder for legitimate PIs to build trust with clients and the public. But Pelicano's case also highlighted the need for greater regulation and oversight of the PI industry to prevent similar abuses of power and unethical, unethical behavior in the future. Today, oh, anyway. <laughs> so, so just so I, I just read that read that last sentence yeah yeah let me go back but pelicano's case also highlighted the need for greater regulation and oversight in the pi industry to prevent similar abuses of power and unethical behavior in the future without further ado let's dive into this fascinating and timely topic and explore the world of private investigation through the lens of one of the most notorious figures um john you know we've the very first podcast we ever did here um at the sound of pursuit was a deep dive into public perceptions of private investigators um and I was really proud of that episode. I thought it covered a lot of territory. Um, you know, we suffer in this business from this public perception of us. And I think that comes from a lot of sources, not the least of which is television. You got Magnum PI, um, Rockford used to carry around like a fake business card printer and he would carry a gun and knock people around and break into buildings and stuff like that. And, and people think that's what we do. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure you have gotten phone calls where somebody uh, will call your office and immediately say, I need to hack into somebody's email. I know that's what you guys do, right? Because I've seen it. I've seen it on TV shows. Uh, so that, yeah, that perception of investigators as shortcut artists or uh, having the technology and the means and the willingness to take shortcuts that other professionals are not is out there. And Pelicano's case is really <clears throat> the ultimate, especially on the, the technology side, because he really was doing some advanced wiretapping that's beyond most people. And I think, you know, you can go all the way back to, you know, this some, some people call this the second oldest profession after uh, prostitution. And, you know, intelligence gathering and, and no holds barred sort of things. It's, it's been sometimes, out there. Sometimes I feel like we're in the same profession. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, they may be better paid than we are. Yeah. But, um, you know, in the 1960s, I was looking back uh, because of Pelicano in particular. In the 1960s, people tend to forget uh, Hal Lipset was an investigator out in California who actually testified in Congress about the use 
of transistors in, in small uh, recording devices. And the famous case was the olive and the martini that he sort of demonstrated in front of Congress. And the idea was sort of that, again, you know, investigators as that agent of the individual against oppressive governments, you know, the FBI in that era with, with Hoover, uh, that, that we would be able to sort of counteract that by using technology. So he was very forthright about uh, PIs using these devices in the 1960s. And then Congress apparently uh, was, they were fascinated by his discovery and his talk, but they actually uh, ended up passing wiretapping laws a, short, a couple of years later that really only allow the government to do it under certain certain circumstances. So that's that's sort of the genesis of why, you know, this sort of eavesdropping, wiretapping stuff has gotten into the, uh, the PI field. And, you know, the interesting thing is, you know, when, when you look at the PI world, um, you know, in California, it's one of those what they call all party consent states. Um, and if you record a phone call, even if you're a party to the phone call and you don't have consent from everybody else, you can fall afoul of federal wiretap law because the state law says everybody has to be informed and consent to the recording. So, you know, at the end of the day, you know, for private investigators, if you're going to record conversations, know the laws in your state. Um, and here's the thing. It is always wrong to record a conversation that you are not a part of. Uh, that is that is not okay. Um, there are some times when you're a part of a conversation where you can record them without letting other people know. Uh, but generally speaking, don't be recording people out there. Um, John, what are, let's talk about things that private investigators actually do. Um, you know, when someone says private investigator, what can the public expect from a private investigator? Most of us are doing records research, witness interviews, basically fact gathering, not this sort of high tech wiretapping that the Pelicano became known for. Um, there is, you know, there's certainly a technological edge to our profession, everything from, you know, GPS trackers, which can be used in some circumstances and database technologies, of course, uh, different ways to search social media. I mean, this is a technology heavy industry, but most because we're testifying in court on most of these cases, ultimately, you have to be able to source your information. And that's why uh, Pelicano's case is so interesting that he worked for some of the very biggest lawyers in california he got results he got results and uh eventually runs a file and gets gets uh uh goes to federal prison based on these these wiretaps that he did for years for some very prominent lawyers and clients it's interesting to me that a lot of people think that what we do is like spy versus spy really like you know cagey stuff at the end of the day a lot of the work we do is pretty mundane um and i'm thinking about doing background investigations and background checks for employment and stuff like that, that is not highly exciting work. It's sitting behind a computer doing research, um, process serving surveillance. I mean, I know surveillance sounds really cool to people that have never done it. Um, but John, you've done surveillance. I've done surveillance. It can be one of the most mind numbingly boring jobs in the world. You can until you get that, uh, the golden moment. So it's a, you know, it's all about about the information at the end of the day. And um, in I terms think, of in terms ahead. of 
No, in, in terms of this example, have it, it's always interesting when people come with stereotypes of what we do. And one good question is how do you do you try to combat combat that on every case or do you just sort of work with it? If, you know, if somebody assumes you're going to take shortcuts and going to be doing certain things by the end of the day, they, they might be surprised by you, you just outworking them, outsmarting them. Do you, do you see that in some of your cases? You know, at the end of the day, I'm just completely, I'm, I'm, I'm too dumb to be, um, <laughs> cagey about things. I, I'm just up front, right up front with people. Here are the things I do. Here are the things I don't do. I'm not going to break the law. I'm not going to be unethical. Um, and I'm very clear about my ethical standards when I'm doing investigations. And here's the thing. All of the tasks, the mundane tasks and the exciting tasks are important for legal purposes. Um, you know, they have real impact in, in, you know, civil and criminal trials. They have real impact in business negotiations and business deals. Um, and for personal purposes, they're very important things that we're doing that are not always exciting. But in order for something to stand up in court, like you said, you have to source your material. Um, so I'm up front uh, in the beginning. Hey, you know, I'm, I'm not going to break the law. I'm not going to misrepresent myself. Um, that's just how I approach it. Now, I know some investigators that, you know, will, will, will um, pretext a lot. Um, they'll do whatever they need to get the information. I think some of them are treading, if not right up against all the way across the line of what is, um, ethical or legal. Um, but at the end of the day, you've got to be able, um, to stand up in court and say, this is the information. Here's where I got it. Here's how I got it. Um, yeah. and, and be able to support it. Um, and I think yeah. that's one of the things I'd like for, you know, people that aren't actual private investigators to hear is you know, most of us out here in this business um, are out here just doing the nose to the grindstone hard work of working for attorneys and getting information together, getting facts together in, in an ethical and legal way. Yeah. The, the, you know, have you seen um, the Anthony Pelicano documentary, the two, two series, the two episodes in that Hulu documentary series? I haven't, but because I worked in California in that era, I read, I've read, a lot of news articles throughout the years about him. And it reminds me uh, a little bit about this idea of, I don't think we need to change the public perception necessarily. I mean, if Pelican is going to be out there doing what he was doing and that stereotype is out there, what, what are you going to do on in every case? You can't, you can't really overcome that, but it, it, it sometimes it can actually help you because I remember working on a civil case years ago in California and Pacific Northwest. It was a trafficking case. And we were doing interviews on an Indian reservation and they were older owners of these smoke shops. And they, and our client was accused of, of trafficking unstamped cigarettes to these owners of these uh, smoke shops. And the government was doing interviews with four or five armed agents, very heavy handed guns, at their side as they're doing interviews on the flip side of it they were laughing at us because we were showing up one-on-one -on -one, going to people's homes talking to them explaining to them patiently this is what the case is about we know you know it involves us you have different interests but it's going to involve you and here's why they didn't always love us but they appreciated that we were we were stand-up people about it we were well dressed i even had my nice pair of cowboy boots working in montana 
Um, so, I mean, it, it was a great example of they, there was a certain stereotype out, out there that people were going to take shortcuts. We were not going to do that. We presented a very professional, thorough uh, presentation to everybody. And, you know, the, we handed the government their ass in two hours. A jury came back, NG, not guilty. You know, go ahead, do your interviews with four or five armed guys of these 60 to 70 year old Indian owners. We won. So in the end, we kind of worked against that stereotype of sleazy, underhanded investigators. And I, and I think that's one way to, to deal with that problem. You know, and, and the idea of, you know, addressing the negative stereotypes and dispelling the myth. I mean, at the end of the day, you're right. Um, I don't have to go out there and try to convince the public of, of what private investigators actually do. What I have to do is um, present myself professionally to people who are hiring me and explain to them this is, you know, this is how I work. This is what I do. Um, and sometimes you're right. The shock of just like, wait, what you're, you're not sneaking around with like, No, I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, yeah, that, yeah, that exactly. helps a great deal. Yeah. <clears throat> and, um, and I'm sure I've had people tell me who have said I've never dealt with an investigator before. And I had, uh, I had a lot of fear, you yeah. know, in thinking about you coming to, to see me, but this was actually a, a delightful conversation. You know, I appreciate that you explained everything. And I, now I know where I'm, where I'm at in this case. So, so having that, that sort of low bar, I think you can actually use that, uh, in a positive way in, in some instances. Yeah. I was speaking with a, a potential client just this morning about a, a case. His, his son is in jeopardy, uh, charged with a murder and he and his wife were discussing whether or not to hire a private investigator and, and, he voiced some concerns about, you know, I, I think it's kind of off, you know, uh, I'm like, no, no, it's, it's totally on board. I did tell him, you know, your son has an attorney. Um, maybe the attorney should hire the investigator and not you. And he was like, oh, I never thought about that. Um, but I don't think yeah. we have to dispel the myths. We just got to be out there and do the work in, in an upright and, and you know, non-covert fashion. Exactly. Um, yeah. <clears throat> You know, one of the things that came up, you know, this this Anthony Pelicano documentary is getting a lot of traction on Twitter and, and social media. Uh, people are talking about it. And it is shocking. I mean, I've, I've watched the first episode. I'm just like, really? That's how people do business? Um, do you think that there is a need for greater regulation or oversight of private investigators? In certain states like Colorado for example. <laughs> uh, that's a whole different topic. But I mean, I, I think most state licensing laws are pretty strong. I, I think it would, I think you could see, you could do a little more with continuing education in, because I think that's where people run afoul of changes in the law. So a lot of times we see law enforcement personnel come over to the private investigative field and they, they've been operating on a certain procedures and they don't realize like, Hey, you can't do that. When you're working yeah. on a civil case, you can't do that. You can't say things that you used to say as a police officer. So I think in, in that regard, I think continuing education in terms of the vast number of laws that apply to us in every area, civil litigation, criminal cases, background checks, I think that would help a lot. But, uh, I'm really, I'm really, who's, I'm really glad you brought that up because you know, the sound of pursuit is brought to you by PI education and we offer online education for private investigators. We offer live virtual ed education for private investigators. And 
you know, not all states require licensure for private investigators. Um, and of the ones that do require licensure, not all of those require continuing education. Um, and I, you know, obviously for personal reasons, I think continuing education ought to be required across the board, but our motto here has been from day one, learn because you want to, not because you have to. And we get students from around the country that are not in a state that requires licensure or continuing education. They want to do the education because they want to learn something. Um, so I think, you know, all joking aside, obviously I'm a fan of CE and I, I do, a, I probably get 35 to 40 hours a year of continuing ed education personally um, that I don't have to get um, because I want to stay on top of these things. Um, any other thoughts on regulation? That's it about regulation, but I think for somebody who is going to go over the deep end, any, any amount of regulation is not going to stop somebody who's willing to set up shop. I mean, did you, did you see some of the footage of the, uh, the war room uh, that there's some term that he used for his, uh, his, uh, technology base. I mean, that thing was incredible. It looked like a bunker, the audio, you know, the, the audio lab, the audio lab. Yeah. The forensic like audio lab or something like that. <clears throat> yeah. Something a military, uh, a base would have, you know, he was, he was ahead of his time. And, yeah. uh, on that point, I think the, the, the biggest takeaway for me is how Anthony Pelicano went down for wiretapping, but all the attorneys that he worked for, like Bert Fields and some of the others, skated completely, completely free, even though there's documented evidence that he was literally reading transcripts from phone calls during meetings with clients. That, that's incredible. I think that's very telling on who pays the price if you're an investigator working for an attorney and the attorney's pushing you to go beyond, they're not going to be the ones that, that pay the price. You will. Yeah, almost never. And, and, you know, I, I, I have what I consider to be a really, really good set of attorney clients and I love them. They're friends. Um, we have never run up against a situation where it was even a question of whether they're not going to back me on something. Um, but at the end of the day, if you're out there doing, you know, shady work for shady attorneys, trust me, the attorney is not going to have your best interest at heart. That's right. We had a similar case here where an attorney was uh, working with an investigator who was taking some shortcuts years ago on phone records. And uh, same thing happened. The attorney skated the, uh, the PI of, I believe, lost his company, lost his license. So again, uh, the, the title of Pelicano's biography says it all. The sin eater, the sin eater, right? I think that's it. It's crazy, crazy. So, well, John, it's been a couple of weeks since we've gotten to do this. I know you've been on the road. Um, did you have a little vacation time? Yes, I did. I spent some time in the Pacific Northwest and uh, did some hiking in, I'm sorry, the Southwest, Colorado and Arizona. Oh, nice. Rocky Mountains. Oh, good. Saw my daughter in Colorado. It was fantastic. Good. Great time to get out of New England. I love it. Well, um, I think that's our show for today. Uh, John, thanks for joining me. I'm glad you were able to do it. And um, for those of you who listened to The Sound of Pursuit, we are sorry for not having been here for the past couple of weeks. Um, I have been, as um, Mike Spencer would say, in the tall grass lately. Um, I have mm -hmm. been totally buried in work uh, and John's been on vacation for a couple days um, we're back 
uh, and we'll come to you once a week as often as possible uh, going forward with the Sound of Pursuit. I'm Hal Humphreys. I'm John Nardizzi. We'll see you next week.